0: an absolutely amazing thing that the God who created all things wants to be in relationship with you. It's an amazing thing that the God who created all things wants to be in relationship with every single one of us. And it is all the more amazing the more we get to know about who this God is. This God is all-powerful. He is perfectly Holy. He is perfectly righteous. He is the creator of all things. God is in an eternally perfect and satisfying relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before time began and after time is over, this is who God is. God is not codependent, God is not needy. But God has done something incredible. He has created us, and He's created us to be in relationship with Him. You and I, friends, are the only things in all of creation that have been made in the image of God. And that God who created us, as the story begins in the book of Genesis, He actually walked and talked with Adam and Eve there inside of the garden. But they, and then we, inside of our sin... We break that relationship. They broke that relationship. Our sin continues to create that distance in relationship. So God started the work of reconciling, of putting back together that relationship in His Son, Jesus Christ. So now, guys, one of the incredible things about our walk with Jesus is that now when we become children of God, we can begin to grow in genuine, intimate, continual relationship with His God. We are calling this, during the Thrive series, Communion. In fact, that word, Communion, is a word that the church has used for centuries to describe this access to God, this access to His constant and complete presence. As the church preached and wrote and talked about communion with God for 2,000 years, it is talked about as an object of joy. Something that we aspire to. Something that we can actually become a part of. Communion with the uh, the presence of God. It's a way to understand how God makes His way toward us. It's a way of encouraging us to respond to the presence and the initiation and the grace and the power of God. And like everything else that we're talking about inside of this series, it begins with God's decision, and it begins with God's act. God gives himself to us, and we prepare to receive what God gives and to learn how to hear his voice and live in his presence. So when we describe communion, we're going to describe it like this. Communion is an awareness of God's presence And enjoying relationship with Him. I don't know about you guys, but that sounds good to me. That sounds like something that I actually want more attention to, more awareness of. Communion is the awareness of God's presence and enjoying relationship with Him. Friends, this is important for followers of Jesus Christ right now. And maybe in some of our lives, it is as important that we understand this now as it has ever been that we understand this as important. Our culture is growing more fragmented, more disjointed, more chaotic all the time. And friends, I have a theory. 2020 in the pandemic and the political upheaval is not creating problems in our culture as much as it is revealing the problems that were already there. And the things that were going on inside of our culture that were on kind of a slow boil have just sped up this year. And so we're seeing it. We haven't seen it before. We're seeing what's been going on around us. And human beings are looking for a place to root themselves. And as children of God, we have the place to root themselves our lives, to sink the taproot of our souls in the presence of God. There is a place to stand. There is a place to be. There is a place to find comfort. There is a place to find strength. And it is in communion with the God who created us and who loves us. So here's how we're going to talk about or prepare for, if you will, communion with God this morning. We're going to talk about prayer Prayer is possibly the first staple of the Christian faith, which is why we kind of stick it right here at the very beginning of our discussion of thrive and discovering who God is. It is the first staple of the Christian faith. It is something that we all do, we should do, and it's something that we should all learn how to do more, every single one of us. So prayer is something that we do and something that we learn, and prayer is also a gift, guys. It is God's gift of communication between us, not just us vomiting out toward God, but of communication back and forth between us and Him. It is a gift of transformation. Prayer over time begins to change this heart more than it changes anything else often. It's a gift of transformation, and it is a gift of action in this world. God really is responsive and attentive to the prayers of His children. So we're going to talk about prayer. And then we're also going to talk about joy and sorrow. Now, this may take us a little bit by surprise. If we're talking about the awareness of the presence of God and enjoying relationship with Him, why would we talk about joy and sorrow? We can actually learn to find, and we can learn to rest in, and we can even learn to enjoy the presence of God in what we might call these extremes of life, seasons of joy and seasons of sorrow. And it's important to think about this because it is easier than we think to lose track of God in both of these extremes. If everything is going well, then we are tempted to just assume I've got it all together, everything is just fine, and we just sort of begin to ignore God. It's easy to do that. In times of sorrow or distress or what we're going to read this morning, even depression and anxiety, oftentimes what happens is when we go to God, we go to God in anger and frustration. But are there ways to find a genuine relationship? an awareness of, an enjoying of the presence of God in joy and sorrow. And there is, and we're going to talk about how the psalmist actually walks us through that pattern in our lives. But this morning we're going to begin with a parable of Christ in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. We're going to read through this whole parable, eight verses long, and then we're going to kind of dig through it a little bit. Chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Jesus said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So, Luke says Jesus tells us a parable to the effect that we should always pray and never lose heart. Now, this is a curious parable. Some of you are thinking, why on earth would Pastor Phil Phil even pick this parable? Say that ten times fast. We don't always know exactly what to do with a widow who is in distress and a cruel judge who just barely accepts her request, but only after she has worn him down to the point where he says, I have to get rid of this, this situation and give this widow what she wants. But Luke tells us the point of the parable right up front. He says, this is why Jesus tells us this. So that we always pray and never give up. So that we always pray and never give up. We should pray. Now this is significant all by itself. We need to hear this from time to time. We need to pray, every single one of us. The habit of praying is not just for kids It's not just for dinner time with especially righteous and holy people who pray before every meal that they eat. It's not just for people who are brand new to the faith. We need to make sure that they're praying and they're reading their Bible. It is central to the relationship that God has set up between Himself and His people. It is the kind of discipline that as long as you and I have the capacity to pray, even when this physical body falls apart and we can no longer physically do what we used to do, if we still have the capacity, we can continue to pray. Some of the greatest prayer warriors in the Christian church are the elder statesmen and stateswomen among us because they've been praying year after year after year after year. We ought always to pray, the text says. In prayer, friends, we deliberately turn our attention to God's presence, and we begin to learn how to communicate with Him, how to properly express what we need to Him. The various ways we can talk to God about who He is and what we need and what life is like. We'll hear some of that in Psalm chapter 42. And to learn how to actually hear His voice. So we should always pray. That by itself is intimidating. We should always pray, but there it is inside of our definition of communication it is an awareness of the presence of God. And that's a way in which we are praying. Is that we become constantly aware that God is here and God is, God is at work and we are in relationship with Him. And then I love this, guys. We need to never lose heart. We can never give up when we pray. We have to continue to pray. Now, why is that important? Because it is very easy to stop praying, it is very easy to give up for all kinds of reasons. Out of boredom, <laughs> out of distraction, and our lives are full of distraction, and we find that we haven't been paying attention to what we need to pay attention to. We've spent way too much time texting on our phones or or in Facebook. So, distraction or boredom or frustration with life in God, or even the pain of waiting for God to answer something that we want Him to have already answered. There are all kinds of reasons why we just stop praying, but Jesus tells us keep praying, keep praying, keep going after the righteous judge. But the oddness of the parable that we're talking about an unrighteous judge in this parable, the oddness of the parable is the key to why we should never give up praying. So the parable was the widow needs justice done against her adversary, but the person that she goes to To accomplish this justice, it's no good. He is an unjust judge. So she persists and she persists. And because of this unrelenting pressure, the judge gives in. And I love the way the text works. It's not just that he gives in, he actually says this. And I just, I don't know, I just love these little kinds of details inside of Scripture. He actually says this. Though I neither fear God nor respect other human beings. I don't like God and I don't like you. But just to get rid of this problem, I'm going to go ahead and give her what she wants. I'm just going to kind of scoot her aside. The judge's character in the parable is not intended to be compared to the character of God, but to be contrasted against the character of God. The point is this. If even an unjust human being will grant this request, how much more will a just and loving and attentive God listen to the requests of His people? Jesus actually says in this parable, He says it twice, God will give justice to His people. So, pray and keep praying friends learning to pray to be in relationship with god to be in this constant constant awareness of who he is is absolutely critical for us and it is important to god god actually wants us engaged with him god wants us seeking him and finding his face in prayer and in relationship with him so, here's some thoughts about prayer and why it is important for us this morning. First of all, prayer is a commitment to the presence of God. Prayer is a commitment to the presence of God. God, friends, and I'm not just saying this as a preacher and a pastor to sort of follow up on a point and make it all work together. This is actually true. God is here. God is actually here. Literally. And I don't use the word literally metaphorically. (laughs) I mean it literally. The Holy Spirit, the third member of the eternal, all-powerful Trinity, lives among the people of God. So in prayer, we are communicating with a God who is here. We're learning to know the presence of God. The psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10, I love the way he expresses this very thought. Where shall I go from your spirit, he asks? Or where where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. The reality of the presence of God is not dependent upon whether or not I feel like God is here. It is an objective, constant reality. The Spirit of God is always with His people. And part of of the practice, part of the discipline of prayer is learning to live in that objective reality. I may not feel it. I may not know it. In fact, that's what the psalmist expresses in chapter 42. But I know that God is here. So prayer is a commitment to the presence of God. And then prayer relies upon the goodness and the attentiveness of God. It relies upon the goodness and the attentiveness of God. Jesus says God is just, and He will give justice to His children. Flip that thought around, and it may help us understand it a bit more. Look at it like this. If God is unpredictable, or if God is limited in power, or if God is not perfectly good, then our prayers turn into nothing but empty desperation, a last-ditch effort of hope against all other hope. But God is perfectly good, Perfectly full of power and always attentive. God will unfailingly always desire the good of his children. And God will unfailingly always accomplish what is right and good for his children. That's a God of all might. That's a God of all love. That's a God of all care. And get this, God never changes. Never changes. So again in the psalm, Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. God answered my prayer, did something new in my heart. Now others can see it and put their trust in Him as well. Prayer is a commitment to the goodness and the attentiveness of God. Prayer is also a commitment to God's work in this world. Something interesting has been happening inside of our culture over the last uh, year or two in a lot of ways. Um, It is very common when we um, watch a disaster unfold or we see something happen to someone we know or love or just sort of know across the world and there's very little of anything that we can physically do for them. Christians will often say things like this, my thoughts and my prayers are with you. But more and more inside of our culture, that expression, that my thoughts and my prayers are with you, has become an object of scorn and mockery. Now, don't get me wrong. The psalmist said, in fact, the Proverbs say, when it is in our hand to do good, we ought to do it. So, Christians are people of action by the prompting and the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong on this. But those who mock, including people inside of the church, Those who mock the promise of prayer, they don't have a God. People who say that don't have a God. People whose God is very small say things like that. But when we pray, we know who we're talking to. We know who He is. We know what He is capable of doing. And we trust in God's wisdom, and in God's ability. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This is another way of talking about this widow. Just keep knocking, keep seeking, keep praying. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened." Prayer is a commitment to God's work in this world. And then, friends, Christians learn to contend in prayer. We wrestle in prayer. We are courageous in prayer. Jesus told this parable so that we would always pray and never lose heart and never give up. This reminds me again of the series we went through last year at this time on Renewal. Now, renewal are these moments in Scripture and throughout history where the Holy Spirit works uniquely upon His people and upon the culture around them, and we learn something over and over again. Those seasons of revival or of awakening or of renewal always begin with an individual or a set of people who just won't stop praying for it. We contend for it. And more and more we contend for it when we watch more chaos and destruction and hurt and pain around us. The world, the church of Jesus Christ, does not need less of the power of the Holy Spirit. It needs more. And so you and I contend in prayer. Keep praying and don't give up is the lesson of the parable So is it actually possible? We talk in these kinds of terms, but is it possible to find communion with God's presence in every circumstance, or is it just reserved for those special seasons in life, or unique individuals who have some sort of spiritual gifting? Can I find an awareness of God's presence and enjoy relationship with Him at all times? Well, to answer, I think, very important questions like this, let's turn to the book of Psalms. It's in Psalm chapter 42. Now, in this psalm, the author openly and honestly, and maybe in some ways surprisingly to some of us as we read through it, this author wrestles with how he feels, with how he wants to feel, and how he finds God. This is the movement of Psalm 42. This is the structure. This is the prayer of Psalm chapter 42. Let's go to Psalm 42, and let's read the first few verses here. Psalm chapter 42, verse 1 says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? (laughs) As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, pants for you. A quick reading of that verse gives us kind of a quaint and pastoral image. We imagine a deer just bending over a stream and drinking water, and it's very nice. On second glance, it's a deer that's made its way through the wilderness where there has not been water, and the deer is on the edge of death. And to pant for water is to require water or I will die. As a deer needs water in the wilderness, my soul needs God. My thirst, the psalmist says, my thirst for God is like that. I want to know, the psalmist says, When I get to be in the presence of God again, will shall I come and appear before my God? The psalmist says, I have suffered and I am in sorrow and I have walked through the wilderness. And even more than that, the people who are around me are mocking my relationship with God. They're mocking my depression and anxiety. They're mocking the pain in my life. They are mocking the God that I seek. I mean to add one thing on top of another. I need God and these people are making fun of me. What am I going to do? The psalmist thirsts because he is dry, because of pain and sorrow, because of the sense that I need a God who is near to me. So here's what the psalmist does next in verse 4. These things I remember... As I pour out my soul, how I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon and the Mount Mazar. So I remember, so I remember. What should I do when I am in pain? What should I do when I am in sorrow? What should I do when I am cast down when I am anxious, when I am depressed, when I am dry, when I am not even sure that God exists at all. Here's what the psalmist does in chapter 42. He says, so what I do is I bring back to mind the congregation of God's people in worship. That's an incredible thing, what I remembered was, was leading people into the house of God so that we could worship God, so it would be festival day, so that it could be celebration, so it, should, it could be um, the glory of God expressed among his people. This is what I remember, and it was glad shouts of joy that we entertained with each other as we sought the presence of God. So I remember what he brings to mind is worshiping God with the people of God. It was joy to him. It's a reminder of joy. When God feels absent and when we feel sorrow, we still can find the presence of God. In fact, friends, it's one of these moments in lives that we need to learn it needs to become a trigger in our relationship with God, those moments of sorrow, dryness, anxiety, and depression. It is there when we can actually begin to find God in new and in powerful ways. And I'm not telling you it's going to take overnight. Sometimes it takes time, but we drive ourselves into the presence of God. We always pray and we never give up. Because God is there and we can find him there. So, call to mind others who worship God. Take comfort in the fact that you are not alone. Man, did we feel alone earlier this year, separated and pulled apart by things beyond our control. And how incredible it has been and how blessed it has been for us at this church to be able to just walk back into the same building together and hear each other sing and worship God. What an encouragement that is. Call to mind the fact that God is worthy of praise even when I don't feel like He is worthy of praise. And then this question and response happens twice In Psalm chapter 42, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil inside of me? Hope in God. And I love the certain nature of this answer. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. He is my salvation, and He is my God psalm continues. Verse 7 through the end goes like this. This is great stuff. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers in your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, here it is again, come on, where is your God? So here it is again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil in me? Hope in God For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Notice the turn in Psalm chapter 42. It opens with an image of desperate thirst. As the dying deer needs water in the middle of the wilderness, my soul needs you. And the turn there in verse seven. So now the deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, the waves of God. He hasn't just given me a cup to drink from, He's thrown me in the ocean under a waterfall. And I am now filled with, filled to overflowing with the presence of my God. That's the turn inside of this chapter. That's not bad for a bad day that's not a bad outcome for a long season of dryness and turmoil it turns out that the child of God can find the overwhelming presence of God even when in sorrow so when we speak of the awareness of the presence of God we can also speak of enjoying relationship with him in all of these times and seasons of life so as we read the psalmist he remembers again in this time it wasn't just the community of faith as we worship together and glorify god what he remembers now is the very character of god himself the lord commands his steadfast love the psalmist says he's actually able to talk to a god that he calls my rock So if I'm talking to that God, I can express myself in ways that go like this. Where are you? I want to know you. I need you. That's not a frightening question that God gets. That doesn't bother Him. That doesn't send Him further away from us. The psalmist says He commands His steadfast love all the time. And He is my rock. So I can go to Him with every one of these moments. It's beautiful. Like a child in distress, calling for a loving parent, we call for our heavenly Father, confident in the fact that He hears, He knows, and He will respond. So that second time it happens, why are you cast down, O my soul, hope in God? Because I will again praise Him. He is my salvation. He is my God. So a second time, the psalmist reminds himself that despair is not all that there is. That's not the end of the story because God is here. God is paying attention. So even in my sorrow, even in my turmoil, God is my salvation and I will not be left alone. Isn't that amazing? So listen, guys, as we read through Psalm 42 and we've put some scripture together this morning, notice this. (laughs) Joy is a milestone and it's a harbor. It's a milestone and a harbor. So when I'm not feeling it, or when I'm feeling the opposite of it, the psalmist says, so I recall, I bring back to mind, the community of faith when we worship God together. I tell my soul, I know you're cast down, but put your hope in God. Because He is still your salvation. He is still your hope. It's a milestone. It's a harbor, a safe place for our souls. This kind of joy isn't happiness in the simplest emotional sense of the term. What happens to people when that roller coaster begins to go down the drop? It isn't that sense of adrenaline that we get for a few seconds. The joy of the Lord is far more enduring inside of our lives, even when we don't feel happy, to use those terms. Again, in the Psalms, Psalm 4, verses 6 and 7, I like this. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. When everything is going great for them, they look like they're having a great time. They look look like there's joy there. But the psalmist says, when you are at work, I have more joy than that. Right? It's a milestone and it's a harbor for our souls. Notice this as well about Psalm 42. Sorrow is a reality. But it is not the end of the story. There is no denying how the psalmist feels. You know, the story of finding communion with God and relationship with Him doesn't include just forget all your troubles. It's take every one of those troubles and lay them out before God because He's bigger than every single one of them. There's no denying how the psalmist feels. There's no denying that people around the Christian, around the follower of God, mock his relationship with God. Twice in this chapter, come on, tell me, you're depressed and anxious and full of sorrow and in wilderness and pain. Where's your God? This is what mockers do. But the child of God has not stopped There. We can actually bring the goodness of God and of God's people to mind and remind ourselves. Listen, guys, we can remind ourselves that God is what is real. Social media is not reality. Keep that in mind. (laughs) Cable news, rarely reality. We need to remind ourselves that God is what is reality. And he's granted every one of us, every one of us, the chance to be in constant communion with him, to root ourselves in that. Christians do not deny sorrow, but they learn how to walk through it with their eyes on Jesus Christ. So sorrow's a reality, but it's not the end of the story. And then I love this in Psalm 42 there is communion in the church community. There's communion. There's the presence of God inside of the church community. Friends, a healthy relationship with a solid church is one where we give and receive, and we are part of each other's encouragement. We are part of each other's walk with Jesus Christ. So I recalled, I remembered those times when I walked into the sanctuary to worship God with the people of God. Our presence, our worship here gives others encouragement and strength. And then you and I find encouragement and strength when we see others walk into church and worship God. Your faithfulness can encourage others. Your faithfulness can lead others through times of sorrow and pain. It really can. The Christian's commitment to the church of Jesus Christ is being severely tested by 2020. It's being severely tested by 2020. This will become, friends, one of the next after-effects of the pandemic and the political unrest, to watch how things fall out with churches across our nation, man, across the world to a great degree. But as I watch it, as I pay attention to things, it's going to be like a set of really unfortunate dominoes, and the commitment of Christians not only to Christ but to the body of Christ is being severely tested. So we never take this for granted. We recognize what is possible when we gather together like this on Sunday mornings, inside of our small groups, whatever the case may be. Powerful things happen when the people of God gather together. So there's communion, the psalmist says, inside of the church community, the community of God's people. And then there is communion in the loving character of God. So this is how the psalmist can talk about hope, not the possibility of hope. He says, my soul is cast down, my soul is depressed, my soul is in turmoil, in anguish, and maybe, possibly, there will come a moment when I might be able to worship God again. It's not how the psalmist approaches it. I will praise God again. He might still be my salvation. It's not what he says. He is my salvation. He is my hope. It is the knowledge of the hope that we have in God. His God has saved him. His God commands steadfast love. This God is our rock. This God is worthy to be praised. This God actually builds a community of faith for us. This God is greater than every one of our enemies, and God does not just quench our thirst for Him. He saturates us in His presence. This is the God that we commune with. Let's pray.